Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I'm really psyched to be here, and I'm glad that you're here, too, for this episode with Anna Eggie. I'm really happy that she's here. If you're here for the first time to listen to Anna, welcome to the Roadcase community. If you're a continuing listener, thank you so much for your support. I'm really psyched to be here. And as I do every episode, I like to remind you to follow us on the social medias. Uh, we are at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have a website, roadcasepod.com, where you can find out more information about the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to contact me, that would be awesome. Uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. My email is info at roadcasepod.com. And uh, another great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, you just scroll down a little bit. You can see all the ratings and reviews. You just throw down a star right there. Write a couple words, uh, your thoughts about the podcast. Uh, that would be really amazing. And you can also subscribe to this podcast. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, it's right up at the top corner. You just hit that check mark and you are all set to get updates with Roadcase. So I'm really happy to have Anna Eggie on Roadcase for this really amazing conversation that I had with her. Anna's got a new album, Between Us, coming out September 17th, which is as of this recording next week. Anna is a wonderfully talented musician with an incredibly gorgeous voice. She had a unique upbringing on a commune in New Mexico and was drawn to music very early on, began as a mando player, and then uh, shortly thereafter uh, learned guitar. She garnered a record contract early as a teenager and then moved to Austin um, and uh, made a new recording of her own music. Uh, and after that, uh, time went by, she kind of became disillusioned and tired of sort of being groomed and uh, having others wanting her to be something that she wasn't. Um, she eventually settled in Brooklyn about 20 years ago and uh, has continued to record albums that each are as gorgeous as they are different from the next. Um, as I said, she's got a beautiful and stunning voice. Uh, she's worked with a plethora of musicians in the industry and her songs have even been featured in a number of different TV shows. She also has a full-length documentary that we talk about called Bright Shadows that came out in 2015. Uh, documents her personal and life struggles and life as a musician. It's really compelling, and I suggest to everyone that is a fan or even not to watch this uh, documentary. It's really special. Um, so I'm really glad you're here. This is a really fun conversation with Anna. Um, she's just a stellar human, and I really enjoyed talking with her. want to thank everyone for your support of Roadcase. I'm really psyched that you're here. And I want to spend a special shout out to Anna Eggy for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go.
Hey, Anna. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So you're in beautiful downtown Brooklyn, New York, I take it, right? <laughs> well, not downtown, Sunset Park. Not too far. Yeah, I don't even <laughs> I don't even know where that is. That was just kind of a turn of phrase anyway. So it didn't need necessarily geographically accurate or anything like that. But um how long have you been in Brooklyn? Um, I I came right after nine eleven. So Oh good, wow, so quite yeah, a while. Good long time. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's kind of sort of when I moved to Chicago. Oh, no, I moved to Chicago before, like in like two th early 2000. So, yeah, sort of been thinking about it quite a bit now with the 20th anniversary coming up. It's like that was 20 years ago. You know, I mean, so much has happened in my own life and in your life yeah. as well. And, um, yeah, crazy. It really, is. it really <laughs> is. Yeah, that it was so long ago. Yeah. It is one of those markers in time, like I say, <laughs> I referenced that for when I moved here, but it was a, it was part part of how crazy it was to move here. Yeah, you have a like a really huge concrete, like life changing tragic event, obviously that that becomes a marker for people's lives. But um, yeah, yeah, and and you've been putting out music for quite some time. I mean, I'm so impressed with the depth of and uh, of your your catalog, and just you have been constantly creating since like. Um, I'm sure since you were little, but I mean, an album since what? What was your first album? 1998. The yeah, the full length record "River Under the Road" came out in '97. In '97, wow. Yeah, and, and I made a cassette before that in '94. <laughs> right, wow. And you grew up in um, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town first in North Dakota called Ambrose, and then. Silver City, New Mexico. Uh, okay, quite, quite. And for a little bit before Silver, we lived in a couple little, like um, on an intentional community commune, and then in an even tinier town called Gila, New Mexico, before Silver. Uh, okay, so sort of New Mexico is kind of like high desert sort of feel to it. So, yeah. Tell me about a, the mm -hmm. a commune. Tell me about that. What was that experience like? My dad, my dad was in the Peace Corps. Ah, okay. Um, out of college, and um, he made a good friend who was one of the founding members of this commune. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's one of the few consensus-run communes that's been around for a very long time. That's still consensus hmm. and still still there um what does that mean oh just that's it's like a co-op sort of everyone makes decisions together uh wow everyone has does anything to agree. ever get done does that <laughs> sometimes the yearly meetings last days and days and days wow i mean right like imagine mm -hmm. even just a family having to make <laughs> those choices i mean if together. you're going to try to make everybody happy and give everybody a voice that's you know right you understand like why it's democracy incredible. is difficult yeah. Why there's representational a, democracy and not, not direct democracy, but you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's a, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's in, I think it's like 400 acres um, in this little valley where a hot springs were discovered mm -hmm. a long, long time ago. You know, pre mm. pre light skinned humans on this continent. Yeah. But it was at one point a TB hospital, mm. um, and that's where 
besides like the native indigenous, um, you know, remains and ruins that are far out on the property. Right. There's there's a bunch of standing structures still from the TB hospital that have been rehabilitated. Hmm. Uh, a long house and a big house with a big courtyard. Mm-hmm. And then lots of individual homes. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty magical place. Lots of pottery being made and painters. and Yeah, New Mexico is In the desert to amazing. have hot springs. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it is the right, land of so enchantment, pretty. like it says on the license plates, right? But my sister used to live in it Santa is. Fe, so I have spent some time there. And it really is a magical kind of energy place, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's so pretty. It feels different than other uh, Southwest um, land. I don't know why. Different from Arizona, different from Texas. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah can't really hone in on that i like been to sedona but like it's like um mm, it's beautiful yeah it's sedona so different super though. Beautiful, but yeah um there's something about i don't know what it is maybe it's, it's like you really feel like you're in a mountain desert you know <laughs> in new mexico there's something so exposed about new mexico yeah that, i mean yeah West yeah, Texas yeah these too. big open but, spaces but you kind of have i feel like you're it's sort of contextualized because then there's mountains around but you're feeling really high kind of like physically like you're mm-hmm. it's at, at altitude mm-hmm. right like santa fe is at like six thousand feet but it's like a city but it, uh, you know, but you're way up there it's crazy it's like it definitely mm-hmm. is a different thing maybe it's a lack of oxygen <laughs> well maybe that's exactly it is that that it's the high dry thing that the elevation mm-hmm. is higher. Yeah, high and dry right yeah yeah so what was that impact that's for beautiful. you to grow up on a commune I mean, you know, there were lots of different things going on. I I kind of felt ready to leave North Dakota because it was such a small town mm-hmm. and most of our friends and neighbors had all moved because it was just um, farming kind of was going bust for everybody mm-hmm. and there wasn't much going on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so we were some of the last folks to leave. Um, I mean, some folks we know are still there, obviously, but, um, so going to New Mexico was exciting, but, you know, scary. I was 10, so it was a big change. Yeah, Um, yeah. And to leave our home, um, you know, was a little traumatic because my folks, they're kind of, they were kind of, um, wanderers, even though we had a home in North Dakota. We had a bus for a while, and we'd leave. The winters are very long and hard in North Dakota, mm, and yeah. we would leave most winters, even after we were in school for a while, just to get out, to go to Minnesota, to mm-hmm. go to New Mexico, to go to California. Um, but we always went home, you know, to our house and to our community there. Right. So when we went to New Mexico, we bounced around a lot. You know, we lived in a house that was being built, we slept in sleeping bags for like years in <laughs> different wow. homes and then in two rooms in the longhouse we slept on the floor uh-huh. in two rooms um you know a family of six cooking on a hot plate i mean it sounds like brooklyn but <laughs> but we also <laughs> yeah. then had the hot springs and the pond and a bunch of friends so like there were lots of good things about it right. um but it was very um uprooted it was uh it was very interesting. I got I got well, exposed art, to a lot of different kind of art makers. Oh, interesting. Why? Well, because the commune, there were so many amazing, strong women there making art, doing printmaking, mm-hmm. making pottery, 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was a commune in kilns. North Dakota as well as New Mexico. No, now we, no. we're talking about New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico. Okay. Yeah, North Dakota, no. I mean, my folks, you know, they found all the freaks. They're like the, you know, pot-smoking weirdos, uh-huh. intellectual, pseudo-dropout weirdos. <laughs> weirdos, okay. I mean, I mean, they never really fit in totally because my dad is like, you know, I mean, I describe him as a white supremacist even though Pardon me? he doesn't you would what? Li- he doesn't like that term. He's, my dad's a white supremacist. He, but he would say he's an anti-establishment, you know. He doesn't like the word hippie, but he definitely doesn't get along with hippies. Hmm. You know, so, so they, he painted our, you know, he put huge Grateful Dead stickers everywhere. I saw him all over the, do- the documentary. John glasses. Saw, yeah. yeah. <laughs> every almost like every like, room you're doing something in, there was a dead poster. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, I don't know why people call me a hippie. I'm like, maybe it's the linen glasses and the tie dye and the motorcycle and the Grateful Dead shirt. <laughs> Yet he was a racist, anti uh, anti establishment, white supremacist. Yeah, sexist, like anti semite, all the things. Wow, that's a terrific combination of stuff. <laughs> Right? And he didn't get along with anybody on the commune, except for his one friend who was also like that. Wow. Just like this blowhard, lovable, but don't want to hang out with them kind of person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Weirdos don't fit into society. You know, the fringes have those people as well as the, you know, incense, um, good witches, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they, the fringes have fringe people. I mean, yeah, there's no like one mm-hmm. particular line for everything. But wow, that must have been um, pretty impactful for you growing up. Did you kind of realize that as you were growing up? Or did is that kind of things that you realized once you became kind of like teen, late teen, etc. And, and, and uh, realized what kind of impact that had on you, if it had any? Yeah, I mean, I think... As a preteen and teenager, it became more and more offensive. Um, I mean, the more I got into music, um, you know, you don't have to dig very far to know, like, how many black songwriters the Grateful Dead cover, you know? Oh, yeah. And how all of, my, all of my dad's favorite guitarists were influenced by black musicians. Yeah. And he would staunchly deny that. Oh, he would. <laughs> I would laugh wow, in his face. Yeah. You know, it's just some folks, you know, you just can't. Mm. Yeah, they like, like know, they don't want to. Re- yeah, they don't want to recognize what's just actual humanity. They just want to have their beliefs not squashed by reality. <laughs> yeah. And he and that's his reality, you know. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, when I would be watching, like, do you remember that Ken Burns um, documentary about jazz, about the pictures that was taken in in New York um, with so many of the jazz greats before, you know, at a certain time when so many of them were still alive. Mm-hmm. And it's this mini documentary mm-hmm. about the birth of jazz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would just be, it's just so offensive all the things he would say when he walked by the TV when I was watching it, you know? God. And I was just like, man, this is really gross. Um, 
Yeah, so I think, and then once I realized I was gay and I came out mm -hmm. to my folks, that didn't go well either. I bet. I mean, <laughs> I bet. That was my, before, my next question. <laughs> yeah, before, I mean, before I knew I was, my mom, see, that's the other weird thing. My mom was so not like that, even though she Not also like your dad just, in that way. Not like my dad in that way, but mm. she also was not... I don't know how to say it. I mean, she, you know, you, like she was not open to, she, well, you know, I think the empirical thing about being a learned person and being intellectual, the, for so long and still mostly, you know, you can say someone's well read and like educated, you know, and then you also have to take the next step and say, right. And all those books that you probably read were written by white men, probably. Yeah, you know about yeah, right. <laughs> about your history, right? And right. so, whose whose story are they telling? And is it just a white guy's opinion about all of these people and their experience? You know, mm. and my mom. But my mom was she was so much more um, open minded in different ways. Like she was really fascinated by indigenous culture mm -hmm. and read lots of books by different Native American writers. Mm. And, and, and black authors, loved lots of black women authors. Um, so she was much more open-minded, but she wouldn't, um, you know, stand up to my dad. She was just kind of like sh shush him or like push him out of the room, you know, huh. <laughs> and then defend him if someone. Yeah. I mean, well, one's own intellectual capacity and um, <clears throat> level of empathy doesn't necessarily correspond to one's ability to have a healthy relationship no and also that thing about like keeping the family together you know like she well that's part of having the you know that's part of being a like a bad relationship denier a bad human denier mm -hmm. you know if you don't really know that deep down inherently you don't like the person that you're with but you know you do not want to divorce from them or separate from them then you don't broach that subject Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and it's really just yeah. And so that's you know. I can love my father, and I do, and I choose not to talk to him very often at all, you know, because <laughs> I hear you. It's still the same thing. Yeah. And it's laughable. It's just like, are you? Well, it's yeah. admirable that like it's you're 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 you have a level of humanity enough to say, yeah, I love my dad. He's my dad. And I do. Yeah. And he's like, just. A, just a lost, just a lost person. He's just, it's sad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That he doesn't know how to connect. Sorry about that. So you were saying when yeah. you came out to your parents, that imp what, what, what occurred and that impact? Mm. Well, I mean, I think that was, I mean, that one big thing that my mom taught me was really, you know, the point is to be who you are mm. and to feed your um to follow your heart yeah in all things you know really yeah um I, they they were you know they were dropouts from society so they really like they did what they wanted you know <laughs> mm -hmm. they they read they you know went to dead shows yeah My mom did yoga she she learned how to you know make yogurt and sp sprouts <laughs> 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 and she was a teacher, and she loved to teach mm -hmm. kids, and she started a school, and that was the school that I went to. Mm. So she loved teaching, and um, 
you know, besides, you know, turning kids on to amazing, you know, ideas and books and everything, she, she really taught us how to learn and to follow things that we, that we cared about that interested us. So I was really encouraged um, to follow my interests. And so I really, when I found music, I just, I, there was, I don't know how to say it, but it felt like the most right thing. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it was uh, it was authentic to you. And when was that time when you when you found it? Um, well, I really. I mean, I as, as about, something that you felt was inherent to you. Obviously, you were listening to music and being exposed to it. Yeah, yeah. They, there's a lot of music in the house, mm-hmm. and I mean, I was really always drawn to the guitar because my. It was, if there was a worship of anything, it was like, you know, the dead and Dylan and, mm-hmm. you know, posters of musicians. So I knew a person with a guitar was like the shit. Yeah, you know it was cool, cooler, <laughs> like that cooler was clear. When everybody, than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know, you know, I think I started playing the guitar when I was 12, 13. Um, but then in, in my folks' alternative school... We started a quote-unquote band, um, and I and there were five of us, I think, at first, or maybe four kids, and we all wanted to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. But our teacher Kevin, um, I think it was the second class. You know, he suggested um, the possibility of some of us playing different instruments, mm. and and asked us if any of us had any, you know, desire to play something else. <laughs> You were like, no. And, yeah. Well, and so then one of one of the fr- one of the guys said, well, maybe maybe I maybe I would play bass. And so somehow we found him a bass, and then and I and I said, well, maybe I would play mandolin because Kevin also played mandolin, mm. the teacher. And so I borrowed a mandolin, mm-hmm. um, and then and then it was given to me by this amazing Neil Apple, who was the uh, town eye doctor. <laughs> wow. So we started a band, and I and then I fell into the mandolin, and that that was really exciting. It felt easier to play. Uh huh. Um, it made more sense mathematically to me. Interesting. Who um, who were your early mandolin idols? Well, since I've said the dead a million times, the, the early Garcia Grisman stuff yeah. just blew my mind. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and I loved so much of that early. Um, fiddle tune stuff but yeah probably Grisman was the main one uh-huh yeah but then I, shortly thereafter this guy steve james came through town and he played bottleneck slide uh-huh and he's we i glommed onto him and he's still a friend of mine um, <laughs> but he <laughs> taught me <laughs> yeah he taught me mississippi john hurt and um turned me on to so many great Big Bill Brunsey and I mean, you know, blew my mind with all these players. And so yeah. I just, that was it really. Mm-hmm. Because that was, um, that felt a, like a full accompaniment with the bass line and the melody line mm-hmm. with finger picking. Yeah. I felt like I was a whole song when I played and it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard, you know? So I, I just, that was it for me. I was, I was done. I was sold down the river. That was it. I was done. I was like, this is my. This thing. is your path. 
I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So how did that, um, how did that move over to kind of guitar? So for how long did you play mandolin and sing and what did that development look like from now? You, you decided that that's the path you want to go. What did that look like from like tip from when you discovered that until, you know, your first album and moving to Austin and all that kind of stuff. Like that early, that I just, early I just have to catch you. myself. What I just said, sold down the river. That's some, probably some crazy held over shit from my dad. Oh Ugh. God, gross. I apologize for saying that. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Um, where sorry. did this go from? I mean, I think that the, I think that my, the thing with my mom too was writing. She had us read every day and she had us write every day in our mm -hmm. journals. Oh, really? And so I think when I was starting to learn songs, and get inside the songs that I liked. Mm -hmm. I started writing songs, and I didn't really know. I mean, this sounds silly, but I was 15, and I didn't really know. I remember someone, you know, giving me a Joni Mitchell record, Blue. Mm -hmm. and, and then listening to it and being like, whoa, this is so crazy. I don't understand what's happening with her voice. I don't know if I like it. <laughs> oh, really? And then quickly, yeah, and then quickly falling in love with it entirely. And then someone telling me, you know, she wrote all those songs. Mm. You know, and I said, what do you mean that she made all those songs up? Like they didn't exist before. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. You know, cool. and it yeah. hadn't really ever clicked mm -hmm. to me that. Interesting. But also because the dead, you know, and that so much of the tradition that I'd been coming to music through was traditional music yeah, yeah. of these songs that had been of the folks and passed along through generations. And obviously someone had come up with things and then they were added to, do you know what I mean? But yeah, I if you were, no, totally. If you were listening to a lot of live dead, you could certainly understandably be under the impression that, you know, maybe they're just doing all these covers. You know, and that's that's what they that's what they kind of do, but someone but someone someone, someone should have handed them. you American Beauty, right? Well, but and I just the innocence. I mean, I was just yeah, so young really and sweet. I didn't. But so when you, you know, and then that hit me like, oh my god, I can really just someone does that, so then I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> With that, like, well, why not? And so then it's like I didn't realize it was supposed to be hard, and I just wrote a bunch of songs. You didn't yeah. realize it was supposed to be hard. Yeah. When did you realize it was hard? <laughs> you know, after I had huge success, after I made my first record with The Sleep at the Wheel, River Under the Road, mm -hmm. I went to Austin, made that demo, got the record contract, went, went, moved to Austin. And then it was just full speed ahead, and I was touring with Iris Dement and Sean Colvin and winning Austin Music Awards, yeah. you know. yep. And I had, and then, and all those songs I'd written, you know, from the age of 15 to 18 or 19, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I just didn't, you know, I had no expectations. My biggest dreams were to meet Lucinda Williams and Sean Colvin someday, you know. Mm. Did you get to um, at those, at that of age? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really young. Oh, okay. Oh, you're saying that you got to meet so them then, and you had a, and and then your dream was to meet them and you have had met them at the time and then you were kind of like, I'm fucking done. What? Yeah, I was like, what? Oh my god, is that mission happening? accomplished? 
Well, as, as well you should at that point, right? I mean. Oh, I was so lucky. I mean, I just don't know. I just didn't. I just didn't have any assumptions. I had no idea. I just had wishes, you know, and mm-hmm. and I loved, I loved playing the guitar. I mean, I still love playing the guitar. Yeah, and wait, just to cover one brief detail. I mean, you shifted over to guitar once you started writing mm-hmm. songs, or I'm, uh, or how did that? How did that? Yeah, that I. Like? Well, that 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 was that quick jump when I said Steve James came to town, and uh. I saw what bottleneck. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, country right. blues mm-hmm, was okay. that was. And that was it. And I was like, um, oh, I'm okay, yeah, yeah, over. yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. And then songwriting, yeah, it was a whole nother level of. Was it the? Do, do you some sometimes long for those days when it wasn't when you felt like it was easy? And do you try to? Do you think about that and the factors you that know, contributed to your ability just to write songs without pressure? Yeah, I mean, I think I've I think I've come back around to that mm. because it's like, <laughs> what? This is such a joke. This business. I mean, as if you could call it one. <laughs> it's still about the same thing. It's still about connecting with something bigger than myself, and you and and using that to connect other people. And using I mean, that. There's just nothing. And using that to connect to other people. Yeah, it's all about connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm a shy person and I love to sit alone and stare at the wall playing the guitar. Yeah. Somehow that connects me to you. Somehow that connects me to people who who are looking to listen to something and not be alone. I mean, it's it's like the most magical spiritual thing in the world. And that's really what it is. And that's how somehow Lucinda Williams found me. And Katie Lang and John Hyatt found me some lonely teenager in New Mexico. Yeah. And I, and I connected to the world through them. I mean, it's, it's still the same thing. It's not about what anybody's wearing or what fancy gig you have or if you get to ride in a bus or not. Yeah. I mean. It's magical. You were right. You're right. It is magical. That connection that performers can create. With others by tapping into something that's somehow universal because many people do it, write songs and don't have that broad, broader connection. But it's also kind of in the process of putting your own self out there in music. Right. Um, and the, the connections kind of like the, um, the best, the, what you're shooting for and the best part of it. But how much for you is just an element of being able to put yourself out there? What if it was just connecting with like one person? Yeah, I think it's still I think it's still worth it and it's still the same thing. I think I think I got lost for a minute when I didn't realize it was the same thing, but I was just on the other side of the phone, you know? Mm, explain that a little bit. I, I well, I was just I I felt all these all this um, you know, weight and expectation of like, oh, well now now you have people paying attention, you know, what are you going to do? As if it changes anything. Mm. You know? And so I got confused and I had all these people telling me what to do and what not to do and all this advice. <laughs> you know, that did not help. Right. All I needed to know was keep following your heart, keep keep playing the guitar and loving that you get to do this and being grateful and making work. Right. You know, it's just they wanted to make you kind of being, part of the ma- keep, they wanted to make you part of the machine a little bit. 
is what I understood yeah. from the documentary, which uh, yeah. Bright Shadow, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a gripping and compelling story that we're going <laughs> to, we're talking about now. <laughs> Come on. Are you, hopefully you're not laughing at my, the words, the, my descriptors. But <laughs> no, but you did watch it? No. No, I did. I did. did. Yes, it? I did. Oh, I did. Part- you watched yes, it Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had to make it through. I well, you yeah. had to make it through quickly, but like, there's like, um, you know, I knew I was going to be talking to you. I didn't want to spoil the interview well, too much. <laughs> the, well, the excitement is, of hearing that, things that, for the first time. There, there, there you go. But no, I think I think you're right. That's true. That's I kind of got lost in in everyone, you know, telling me what this, that, and the other thing, and you know, none of that matters. It just, I mean, it does matter, but it's not the point, you know, mm-hmm. and it needs to be. It needs to be like, you know, the trash needs to be taken out. Otherwise, it's going to smell. Yeah. Is that the point of your day? No. Is that something you need to make a put on your list of things to do? <laughs> right. Do you know what I right. mean? It's like, no. What? You just got to, you know, you make the calls. You make sure that things are getting done. But, you know, you know that's not, that's not the point. Yeah. And I think what I was saying was like... You know, I'm still such a huge fan of music. You know, I'm still so excited when I hear something mm-hmm. that moves me, you know, and then I'm just, oh my God, I, can't, I mean, oh, I hope I get to play with that person or meet them someday. Mm. That is still so real for me, Yeah. you know, and the thing, the other thing that's been a part of my reality is that I also get to make work that might move people as well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's that's the addition. So a couple things, and um, I want to come back to how this um, kind of this churn occurred in Austin for you, and then you, which eventually led to your departure from that town. But mm-hmm. I want to, but um, wanted to ask you about live performance real quick, just to kind of understand a little bit your. Um, your connection with that, because that's kind of really where you make the not, I mean, for lack of a better word, the, 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 the live connection, the actual connection where they're those people that you connect with are in the room. So what impact does that have on you? Cause we've already talked about your impact in writing a song and knowing that it's connect, you're connecting with others that way, but when it's right mm-hmm. there and that you have that immediacy, talk to me a little bit about what that means to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm smiling. It's really, <laughs> It's so real, right? It's just so palpable. I I mean, music is so real and magical. Like we said, it's just so uh, otherworldly, but it passes through everything. Yeah. And and but when you're in the room with someone making music, you're moved by those sound waves. I mean, they're like Mm. touching you. Mm -hmm. It's just so physical. It's amazing. And then you get to see people's faces. You know, and connect after the show, maybe. Yeah. It is, but also for me, the experience of playing is so exciting and fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really love seeing what's going to happen. I love playing. I love the interaction of, of, of playing with other musicians. Yeah. And being open to what's going to happen and not doing it the same way every time. And, you know getting excited by each other and what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I really love that connection and that friendship um, of 
of talking through our instruments and singing together. It's just so fun. Yeah, it's great. What was it like for the first time when you saw some people in the audience like singing along with a song? Do you remember that moment? <laughs> so fun, yeah. <laughs> so flattering, you know. Yeah, it's really, it's the best. Yeah, you know, because that's the thing. Like what I was saying with the other people's music, you know, finding me when I was a teenager and still now. You know, and I, and I hear this Brittany Howard song you know, and I love it and I sing it and it's in my heart Mm -hmm. and in my mouth when I'm singing it. And it's not my song, but it's like, I have that song and I'm so grateful to her for making that music. Uh And so when someone else is doing that and having that experience with something I made up, I mean, it's crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Take it to that level that other people are doing that with others that like, yeah, that you're doing with another artist and others are doing it with you. Yeah. Yeah. It can be kind of mind blowing. I would imagine. It really is. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that, it's that magic of someone that touches something there. You're like, yeah, I think that too. And it's like so spot on. And then there's the, not only the beauty of the words, but the emotion that music invokes. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's amazing. Um, well, we'll come back to that. And, um, but I wanted to understand a little bit more about why you decided to leave Austin and how, well, let's talk first about, um, and that's really evident in the documentary, how you felt like you were trying to be groomed and people had asked you, for example, you say like, oh, um, they wanted me to wear fringe. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of stuck out in my mind, like, you know, yeah. um, or like, and you were like, um, well, you know, I just want to be authentic to myself. Yeah. You know, I took that, I took my own road and, you know, that is the harder road. It's like, it's, uh, I've seen so many people come and, and get snatched up and be propped up and be that new young thing. And again, like you say, on some level, part of the machine and people are are raking it in mm. on that. Mm-hmm. And then you just see them kind of a little bit frozen in that moment for decades. And I have so much compassion for them. Yeah. Even if it's exactly what they want. And maybe they're super happy. What you know? compassion? And maybe that is they, the kind of... That's what they want. If that's exactly what people want, then Okay. Then it's cool, right? Yeah. Um, I and mean, you can't project onto I, other people that they want that, that how could that be not good for them? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it yeah. might be cool. It might be cool. And it might be just what they want yep. to do. And, you know, one would hope so. Yeah. And I know that I, I knew that I couldn't be that because I had so many different labels and managers approach me with their specific idea of who I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> their ideas of what you were going to be. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you on know? the face and of I, that, like right away, like, you know, and, and including people that I love uh-huh. and that I would, you know, but no, I'm not, I'm just not somebody else. And I so young that I honestly couldn't say, I know who I am. Like I was 21, you know, like I can't even, I couldn't even say, 
this is who I am and what I want to do forever. All I know is that's a that's a great level of maturity right off right right there. Also, yeah. I mean, I still don't think I can say my new record sounds really different. Well, I mean, to to know to know that there's a level of um, that to know that you don't know is a is a right is 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 good also. Yeah. Well, and like I say, how I, I mean, you know, I'm just, who wants to write the same song over and over again? Some people do. I don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that a pressure also? It was like, oh, you, well, you, your, you your know, second batch of songs is too different than the first? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. But also the more you listen and, and read about artists, you know, I'm sure you're very aware of so many artists that are so great and that I admire so much their records are pretty there's some pretty big leaps and many of the artists that like even Joni like we're saying she faced a lot of you know negative attention for the moves that she made artistically are you talking I, you kind of broke up for me you said Joni oh uh, Joni yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Even, even with this 50th anniversary of Blue she came out and she was saying you know it wasn't really accepted at the time she did the she like did yeah. a 30 second blurb on Instagram which was crazy I think kind of semi unprecedented for her right? and she's like it wasn't that well accepted I'm paraphrasing right what you're basically saying that's true yeah. yeah they didn't want it was too like precious and 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 fancy and literate it's like this doesn't sound like a folk song by a guy who's been dead forever like, I, thought, <laughs> right. I thought that's who you were right this right. fresh-faced folky you know and she's like obviously it's not who i am yeah this is the record i just made uh-huh can you handle it <laughs> right 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 you know it's like well that's i mean and forever that's just the way it is right you put something out for people and they're going to have an opinion and that's that's okay yeah you kind of have to have a thick skin for the opinion thing right but um yeah. what about for um, i'm also interested um uh with the the image and what they were kind of wanting you to be like what did that sort of feel like and did your sexual preference and the fact that you came out as gay did that have anything to do with what the kind of direction they wanted you to go in in terms of um of image and such just curious i mean in general you know they nobody really liked you to talk about it Uh uh-huh about being out right because we're talking 20 some almost over about 20 years ago right yeah Yeah. late 90s Uh yeah yeah um, especially in the, you know, roots music mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. you know, it was pretty straightforward, like look feminine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, right. You know, we're fringe. Was really, we're really, fringe. Was yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that was a thing. You know? I just think that's funny. Well, that, that was, you know, yeah, that's, that's like the country, like be more country, be more, more overtly. Yeah. Country, I'm kind of conflating the two things. I mean, the the um, yeah, uh, the country doesn't necessarily have to do with your sexual orientation or what that's supposed <laughs> to mean to people, right? So those are kind of two different things. Like be a be a woman, be a woman and wear fringe doesn't necessarily have to do with being gay or not, right? But so no, I, we're, we're kind of talking about meant, two different things, right? No, yeah. So to be clear, they definitely meant wear like a skirt. And maybe a leather jacket with fringe. Yeah, it's interesting because then it does conflate, right? 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I backed away. You could from wear boots, because... but you got to wear a skirt with. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I'm not. I'm just right. saying. I'm, so, I'm joking yeah, around. Yeah. 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 No, but it's true. I mean, that that's partly why I backed away from the country world was because mm. it was so heteronormative, so mm. like uptight. Mm-hmm. Even though I love that music so much, and I've had yeah, a that's interesting. I've had a country. Um, covers band here for years in New York called the Balladeers where we do mm. a bunch of um, stone country songs from the 50s to the 70s. Cool. And it's just so incredibly fun. Yeah. All those amazing songs. But no, ew. you know, and again, now there's just a whole nother level of acceptance and support and welcome for, right. you know, gay and bi people. Yeah, yeah, country yeah. Music. Who were some but of the back gra- then, I, sorry, sorry. Mm. Who was no, no. who? Um, I didn't want to interrupt you. Did you have? Were you? Did you have a thought? Um, Not really. <laughs> I was just saying, Katie Lang was basically it. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. No, that was my question. Was uh, like who? I said who, and I guess you knew what I was going to say, right? Like who were your groundbreakers at the time for you, Katie Lang? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she, but she didn't have her big, huge breakthrough really until. Well, she did that duet with. Um, Johnny Mathis? Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. Oh, I remember she describing that. This doesn't have anything to do yeah. with what I But she goes, and we brushed cheeks. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> when they went to the yeah. same mic to sing a line or something like that. Oh, my God. That was yeah. really cool. I remember that at the time. It was so cool. Yeah, her voice is just so soaring. Yes. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, but I loved her records before that. Her first couple mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, they're really, they're really, you know, slightly raucous country records, even though they call them punk country. Mm, it, mm-hmm. The punk part was that she was gay and that she had short hair and she was like a performance. Right. So they had to subcategorize to it to like say that it was different. It couldn't be part of country. Right. That's like fucked up in itself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, those records are great. The songs are great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just loved it. Yeah. All right. So if we're going to fan out a little bit, you said you, you're, um, uh, you love John Hyatt, and I'm a huge John mm-hmm. Hyatt fan, and I had Lily on the mm-hmm. show also recently, mm-hmm. and that episode's coming up. She's great. Yeah, she's... Nice. Uh, yeah, she's great, but I know that I, she's like, oh, Josh, you're always asking me about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, your dad's yeah. John Hyatt, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what, um, what were your sort of, tell me about your, your, your love for John Hyatt just a little, just for a couple seconds. <laughs> oh man. I mean, well, my first, my gateway to him, maybe like some other people was that song that he wrote that Bonnie Raitt had a huge hit on. Oh yeah. Um, let's give him something to talk about. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then I looked into him and I found, you know, at that time, my favorite records were Stolen Moments. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved the record that he did uh, with the uh, Ry Cooter and... Um, Bring the Family. Yeah, Bring the Family, the original. Uh, uh, I mean, I Nick, learned... I think I it was Nick, was it Nick Lowe Nick Lowe. playing bass yeah, yeah. and then Ry Cooter on that uh, album. Was Leventhal on that too? I mean, it was I just I don't know. There was the one I've that opens with Memphis in the song. meantime. Oh, love it so much. That's the album you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's Bring the yeah. Family. And he tells this story about, hey, they just rolled into the studio on that day and just started to play that song with hardly any rehearsal. And that's why it sounds kind of that 
almost like um like a rolling stone you know how like a rolling stone you know yeah. they went into the studio and they were like barely had any practice at all right and they're yeah. and um the keyboardist is talking about how he's just kind of if you listen to the keyboardist it's kind of lags a little bit but it sounds fucking uh-huh. badass yeah he's like trying to yeah. figure you know he's not he's just a little lagging right and uh, Memphis in the meantime, not that's like to, I'm not comparing them on like level of notoriety of those songs, but, but in my mind, you know, um, yeah, just, and if they sort of like take a little bit to, to, um, uh, to kind of get it together on that song, but it totally, <laughs> yeah. it totally I can works. Hear the drums. Yeah, I can hear the drums. Yeah, does that make mind. sense to you? The that, way that back, analysis? backbeat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, catching up, catching up. Right, yeah, right, it's so right, good. right. Yeah, I was on him when he uh, when that album came out, and I saw that tour, or like at least the next album was Slow Turning, which was equally as phenomenal. Loved it. And I uh, saw them on Think the Slow Turning tour, the album dang, after that, at, in New York at the Bottom mm-hmm. Line, down in uh, in the Ugh. in the Village, which was. Right, yeah. a couple blocks from where I lived because I went to NYU um, in yeah, the early '90s. So, so yeah, oh wow, yeah, great stuff. So uh, now that I've gotten completely off the track, now um, I love those records. Those are my two favorites, I'd say. Of his, yeah, yeah those are and, yeah. those are great. Yeah, phenomenal stuff, phenomenal stuff. And he's done a couple yeah. duets with her too, like and recorded them. It's really been really cool. Um, and she and Lily's phenomenal since, and I I love her and I see her whenever I come into town and I. Um, ran into John Condon, who's also from Nashville, just incidentally, who plays guitar with, who used to play guitar in the road with Lily, which was crazy at some, at a record store day party. I'm like, I've just had some kind uh-huh. of cosmic connection with that band and that, those people. <laughs> it's like, you know how that is. Um, so when you left Austin, where did you go? You went back to New Mexico. I went back to, I went back to New Mexico. Yeah. Yep. And I, Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going way we're going way back but you were recording albums all all along but um mm-hmm. like what was your um how did you kind of get that mojo back that or did you let me just ask the question i guess is the better question is what mindset did you have when you left austin i needed to I just needed to take, I just needed again to like figure out who I was and what was going on, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. I um, I was touring a lot overseas um, with Ron Sexsmith, a great songwriter from Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started building a little house off the grid in New Mexico oh, wow. myself. <laughs> wow. So I was living in my truck. And, Apple doesn't fall f- too and, far from the tree in that sense then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I would then I was flying to, you know, Europe to tour with Ron and I started working with this producer named Martin Tereffe in London. Mm-hmm. And I made a record there. And then was touring a lot in Canada and just kind of Yeah, I mean figuring out what was next, you know. Yeah. Um but for, but I felt like then after a while, I just realized that I just I was kind of done with being so cut off from the rest of the world. Um, I felt too mm. too away from everything. Was that kind of a reaction to having been kind of in the middle of a vortex a little bit in Austin and not really liking it? I mean, I definitely felt too exposed in Austin. I didn't like 
I didn't, I didn't like being recognized and stuff. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that. Mm. I mean, I don't know if I would be now, but it, it was really, <laughs> yeah. it was really wild. Yeah, you know, yeah. In a way, it was so flattering and so great, but it was also just too much, too fast. I think, mm. even though it sounds, I mean, it's pretty small potatoes compared to someone like Tracy Chapman or yeah, I don't know for sure Justin Bieber. You know, <laughs> someone who's just like yeah. goes to a crazy other level so fast. Yeah, for me, it yeah. was just. So, but even on a minor scale, you got a taste of like not being able to be utterly anonymous whenever you wanted to be. And that's kind of like not so great for some people. Yeah, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for being. Austin is such an amazingly supportive, insular, like, or or was, and I think now still is amazingly great at supporting Mm -hmm. and and lifting up local musicians. Mm Mm-hmm. Back then, it was, you know, a, a smaller town, but just so, so proud and supportive of its local music. Yeah. And it was incredible, and I felt it big time. And then, you know, I, the one thing I think of now is, like, was that it was a time in the in the grocery store, and I went in, like, I might have said this in the movie, too. Yeah, I don't did. know, but it was you did. memory. No, you did. You did. You said something about the grocery store, yeah. Yeah, I was like walking. I'm thinking, in like, who wants to be recognized asleep. in the fucking grocery store? First of all, well, and I was not even like I was just all schlumpy and like grumpy and yeah, like oh my gosh, this is the teeniest taste of what it would be like to be famous. And I was like, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's good when you're up on stage, I like though. <laughs> I mean, it's great when you're on stage, and it's great when people want to come talk about music and you know, right, whatever after your show. But, you know, back to the back to John Hyatt, I think I also really, really, I fell in love with the idea of his career beyond his music. I loved his song so much yeah. and his voice. Mm-hmm. But I, that was my big dream was to write songs that other people got famous for. Mm. And then other folks got to be the Bonnie Raitt and recognized everywhere. And I got to keep being Anna Eggie, like John Hyatt gets to keep being him. Yeah. You know, so that honestly, well, that's unless still... he happens to be in a grocery store with me, he doesn't get to be like him. <laughs> yeah. Or me. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, John. Watch your back. I next mean... time you go to the pick and save or whatever the hell it's called in Nashville. I don't know. It's so funny. I mean, I remember going to like, I made that first record with asleep at the wheel and I, I went into their vault of all their, you know, tapes in there, and I found a bunch of demos with John Hyatt, and I just like, oh my, oh my God, can I, can you make copies of this for me? I mean, that was, <laughs> yeah, they had all this shit, Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton and everything, and no, I was you just like, went right oh, to John Hyatt. You know John Hyatt? Oh my God, perfectly good guitar. <laughs> you know, and he did that that yeah. the, the Budokan album too with him on the cover with the J- Japanese him. outfit and the and the the headband too. Yeah. yeah. I met him once at an in-store in when Tower Records was still around in Chicago. That was fun. Off the, the Tiki uh, album. Oh, right. And they had yeah. a little Tiki thing set up there. I forget what the name of the album was. Sorry, everybody. But sorry, other... Yeah, I can't remember either. Um, yeah, I, I, I got my phone right here. I could look it up on Spotify. It's like, whatever. Um, yeah. And so they had a little Tiki kind of set up thing. And he did played, they played a couple songs. And that was fun. And he, like that was cool. 
Yeah. That's like the days when you would find out about it because like the radio station told me that John Hyatt's doing an in-store tower. So I like booked down there. And, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, once I knew that you like John Hyatt, we're going to come back to it. We'll come back to John yeah. again uh, a little bit later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, when I think of another story about him. Um, so, but this, in, this whole time that you were, um, you were, you were still creating, you were still writing. I mean, you've, you've been incredibly prolific in your career. And, um, I mean, we're here talking about your new album. We haven't really even talked about it that much uh, between us that comes out on se- September 17th. But mm-hmm. now, I mean, but your backstory is so incredibly compelling and, and, and so super interesting to me and, and, and everyone else, I'm sure. Um, but I, but there, what you did have a break between 2000 and 2004 with albums. Was that related to your mm-hmm. move or, you know, just kind of curious as to your, um, your creative process and, um, <laughs> and where, cause you've been yeah. so prolific. And then I saw this big gap and I'm like, oh, yeah. well, let's fit that up with the backstory and your, and what's, um, and what was happening with you at the time. Well, that is so interesting too, because of how we've been, you know, framing all this stuff. You know, I, what I said before, which is that I, you know, realized that I was, that I was ready to engage more in society, basically not just be in my little hut in New Mexico and then zipping off to play shows and then disappear again. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in the community again and be collaborating with musicians again. And so, so basically that time off was a combination of that part of retreat, you know, and, and writing. And then that also, the second half of that was reinserting myself in New York. I moved to New York um, right after 9-11, and I, I found, you know, my people there, basically. I had, I had toured through there a couple times, a yeah. few times before that. So, so Anna, you, so you, um, you lived in New Mexico briefly then, because if you moved to New York right after, then that was like 2001-ish. So, mm. Yeah. I think I moved back to New Mexico in 2000. Mm-hmm. You went off the grid for like a year-ish, and that was enough for you. You're like, yeah, I'm going back I on the, was, I'm going back on the grid, fucking big time. I'm I moving to the Big true. Apple. You went from one, you went from one extreme <laughs> to the next. <laughs> maybe it was like a year and a half. It felt like a long time, huh. but maybe, maybe it was a two years max. Right, I don't know. Right. I think I. Well, and another part of that was. Um, was was turning around and saying yes to a manager who I'd said no to mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. I decided to, to basically, you know, give it a try uh, okay. um, and see what would happen with that. Mm-hmm. And so I signed the deal, um, and it was like a it was one of those big deals of the the old days where it was a publishing deal and a production deal and a management deal. Ah, okay. With a big dude. And mm-hmm. I decided to, you know, I was writing like crazy and I was f- going out and seeing tons of amazing music and making friends and finding people I wanted to play with mm-hmm. and, you know, finding out what it was like to live in Brooklyn as opposed to tour through here. Mm-hmm. You know, I was falling in love with the city. Mm-hmm. And 
And, you know, I was, I signed all these deals with this one guy. So I was like, okay, so I'm playing, I'm playing along and seeing what this, what happens here. Mm-hmm. So I, it was weird. I mean, I was, I was, <clears throat> I was writing what I wanted, but then I was working. I was doing, I was playing by the old, the old way. Like mm-hmm. it was, I had these rehearsals with different side musicians that would come in that were called by the dude, my manager. Mm. And I would play with all these amazing musicians and then I'd pick the ones that I liked the best. <laughs> and then we'd do showcases, you know. Oh, interesting. So at he, Bottom Line, for example. Yeah, he was really setting you up. Yeah, and for, you know, Arista and all these labels, so many of them aren't even around <laughs> yeah. anymore, but all these major labels. Right. And... um because you've worked with yeah, a just, t- shit ton of great people over the years. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't through that. Like that's the weird thing. Like that was it was <sighs> He was a he was like a very legitimate person and he had worked with a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. But it was the beginning of the end of the music business as we knew it. Mm. You know, it was the majors were starting to die. Tower Records was still holding on. But it wasn't along for it wasn't around for very much longer. The Broadway and West Fourth no. place. How awesome was that? Yeah. You know, Keith Richards had an just... apartment in that building, by the way. Really? Uh, yeah. So it was it was like the beginning of the end, and he he was not he was enough of a player that he was not he was blind to it like all the big players were because they didn't believe it. Mm. So he was still <laughs> holding out for the huge record deal for me, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the big booking agent. Right. And so God bless he him. had, so yeah, God bless him. But in that time, you know, he suggested that I quit working with my booking agent and I not put out any music. You know what I'm saying? To keep, to wait and keep holding out for this. Mm. And so I did. And so I didn't, I didn't tour. I played locally mm-hmm. at the old, old living room. You know what I mean? And like, and I kept writing. And, but I wasn't touring out of New York and I wasn't, I was holding out to make this big record, Mm -hmm. you know, and getting turned down by all these majors that, that were dying on the inside. (laughs) I didn't realize, but they were, they were hemorrhaging money and it, you know, it was Napster and it was all the beginning of of the end of that, of the music business on that level. Um, and so then I, I made a record. Without telling him. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Which one was that? It was Out Past the Lights. Okay. And I made it with my friend Jason Mercer in his kitchen, you know, with Tony Shear and, and all these amazing players. Yeah. And a bunch of friends that I knew in Toronto from touring with Ron Sexsmith. Uh-huh. And, and that actually, Jason, I also had met roundabout through Ron, but not through touring with him because I saw him at a festival with a Ron Sexsmith shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you know, so I made the record, and and I and we finished it, and I and we we mixed it, and we mastered yeah. it. Yeah, and I gave it to my manager, and he's like, "What is this? Wait, what?" <laughs> and that was the first time that he had known about this. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. And he had heard some of the songs because he had had me demo them, you know, with a different producer right. and kind of make it shiny and everything like he want you know what he wanted to pitch <clears throat> which i was grateful for because i thought that's his vision and i was up for it because i was right but so 
I'm, I made this thing that I loved. And to his credit, he heard it, and he was like, this is so great. we got to put it out just like this. I wouldn't have you change anything. Mm. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, so we tried, and we failed. We didn't find anybody to put it out. Mm. Um, and, and basically, around that time, I think he pretty much was like, you know, I'm ready to fold. My, I'm ready to, this biz- I see the light now, and I'm, I'm going to get out uh, okay. <laughs> of this business. Yeah. Because it's it's the end uh, for me, mm. and you know, to his, he's he was such a wonderful person. He just let me go of all the contracts. Mm. He didn't like hold on to me, which was a huge thing right. for someone like that to do too. Yeah. That's that was unheard of. So then I so then I ended up putting out that record with this great guy Rob Rob Litowitz, um with Parkinson Records. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of, you know, many records with him. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And th- those are just amazing records. I love those. That that from that. Oh, thank you. Um, from that period for the next uh, until now. I mean, I think every album is so different. I, I love I love your creative mind and and what you've what you've done. It's just um, it's so brilliant. And um, yeah, along the lines of like a Joni. I mean, I think that. Your albums oh, are you. just so, um, um, yeah, are just so brilliantly creative and um, and so fresh from one to the next. It's really, it's really wonderful and like so. And, and those have mostly all occurred since. Not that I don't love your 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 super early stuff, but um, I mean, you want to like continue to like imp- like improve, let's say, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right over time, right? Yes. Create different things. But did Brooklyn have a lot to do with that? And the, your gigging around Brooklyn with others and what kind of impact did that have on your creative process during that time and playing in front of people a lot more, yeah. I would assume than living out near yurt in, uh, in New Mexico. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that, well, it's New York is, you know, this real tangible, you know, at the moment, summer hot, sticky in the city. Yeah, place, let's not even talk about know? that. I start sweating in my but, seventy-one degree yeah. office right now in studio. Like I yeah. start sweating just thinking about New York in July. So and it's, yeah, but, but anyway, it has an impact place. on you. I'm sorry, you you tell me. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's also this place where people, including myself, we come and we have this place to find anonymity and look on our life and draw from our lives up to that point in a new way. Yeah. 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 Where, where we can, we can tap into ourselves in a different way and we can bounce off of other creative people who are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, inc- just incredibly talented people on all, in all uh, forms of art and expression here. Yeah. You know, I had never been to, you know, professional puppet shows before, or, you know, like, <laughs> like dance and, you know, like, Oh, I mean, that runs the creative gamut like, of everything just, and that, yeah. they, that humans can create. Those humans are there in New York and they're creating. And every great author that I, that I love and, continue to follow comes here to read from their new book you know and i can sit in the audience go talk to them i mean yeah so 
the level of musicianship. I mean, did someone any, did someone say city. center of the universe? I'm a big New York proponent. <laughs> I just don't want to yeah, particularly you live know, there anymore. But same with Chicago. I mean, you can find the most amazing musicians, and then, and I don't know if it's unique to New York here, but there are so many players that live to play. And they're going to play with Bruce Springsteen on tour. And then they're going to play some random funky jazz. Oh, yeah. You know, $5 to get in every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's what is happening here. And it didn't take me long to figure that out. Yeah. And I was just, you know, and I still soaking it up. Yeah. You know? So where are you going these days? Like, what's what's your last? What's Oh, well, since COVID, obviously, well, that put kind of a damper on that. But. Um, like say up to pre-COVID and, and other, at other times over the years, have you taken advantage of that? Yeah. I mean, there's just so many amazing people playing all the time. Yeah. There's the place in Brooklyn that I love, the Bar, Barbez. Mm-hmm. So great. World music of all kinds, nonstop. And the Owl is really great. I mean, the other nature of the city is that there's constantly places, you know, coming to and then getting absorbed back into the real estate madness yeah but there's yeah. a place in manhattan called the stone it's a jazz place uh-huh. um yeah there was some stuff happening outdoors um a little bit like bill frizzell was playing on somebody's porch for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> some random pop-up shows yeah um but yeah it and that's the accessibility thing here is the is the crazy thing you know be able to see um, who you want like just find get get in the flow and like find it and i'm sure you're yeah, getting calls go, and, then and go then you're say, talking to people and you're bringing your guitar out all the time yeah and then you go and then you can go say hey after the show can i buy you a drink yeah yeah because they're because they're there in this small place yeah um so you can like connect with somebody yeah that's amazing that's amazing and i'm sure a lot of those collaborations it seems like a lot of those collaborations sort of um manifested in new material for you or people to play on albums with um over the years yes absolutely that i mean you know all the writing i mean who knows where that comes from but it can't (laughs) it has to be connected somehow to you know being in the mix and hearing so much amazing stuff. Yeah, for sure. But right? definitely recording, you know, yeah. Um, it's been so much about, you know, I mean, like literally hearing somebody and be like, you, I want you on my next record, mm, <laughs> you know? Interesting. Like, I love what you do, and I'm going to find a spot for you to yeah. be you on my record. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the the your latest album that's coming out on September 17th between us. Um, mm-hmm. And you're working with um, an Irish singer songwriter, Mick Flannery, whom I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know his work, but interestingly, but not uncharacteristically during COVID, you did these FaceTime sessions with him and um, <laughs> yeah. well, apparently like created songs on the fly that are like, like the majority of which are included on this album. That's like, that's nuts. Right. I mean, although I probably, there's like a lot of stories similar to that, but still, um, tell me what that was like for you and how, like, you're probably never going to do that again. Right. Or maybe, maybe you will like, was he in Ireland or he's just Irish lives in New York or you can be anywhere in in the world. Right. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. How do you, Never entertained that before. Yeah, yeah. How'd you meet him, and what did um, and who is he, and how did how did this all come out? Yeah, well, we did have a human connection before. We we had met a couple of times at festivals and mm-hmm. become fans of each other's music. Mm-hmm. Um, and we played in the round thing a couple of times. So <clears throat> I really liked his songs a lot, and I loved his last record a ton. What is actually um, playing? Why did why did you say playing? We've done the in the round thing with him because like you've stood oh. butt to butt and played to the opposite sides yeah. of the room. I mean, what? <laughs> that's <laughs> a thing that happens with songwriters often, where they they'll have two or three different songwriters play one song after another. Yeah. So I would play a song of mine, then he would play a song of his, and another song. Oh, it's would like play, a, and then I'm sorry. In the round, All right, like one after another. So I sounded yeah, like, like that. I sounded stupid because I didn't know what that meant. Actually, that's like a different. No, no, I made like a joke right. about it in a different way. <laughs> I told you that my weird sense of humor was going to get me in trouble at some point during this episode. <laughs> well, that's cool. could have been worse. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, that so but, yeah. Then we started writing a little bit. Um, Long distance. And then in the the lockdown, I guess, I don't know. I just, I think I was really into his record. And I don't know. Something came. I had had a bunch of dreams during the pandemic, and I would wake up humming stuff into my phone. Yeah, that's crazy. You mentioned that. Like, um, well, let's talk about Mick and 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 the collaboration. But since you mentioned it, uh, I'm not going to let it go without scratching that, you know, mm-hmm. going down that, down that avenue a little bit. Like, and you're keeping a dream mm-hmm. journal, and you're hearing songs and s- stuff in your head uh, in mm-hmm. dreams. Like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I had I, in the past. I've had different dreams where I was like, oh, and I would write about it, and it might turn into something. Yeah, you know. But this was so. Like vivid, so specific, yeah. I mean, and it happened so often. And this was, was like just... something that just cropped up during the like quarantine lockdown kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it started happening maybe a little bit before. Uh huh. But, but it hadn't. But this had hardcore. not been like something like, oh, I just I dream songs all the time. Mm-mm. Interesting. No, but I also hadn't. I also hadn't really. It was the first time I'd started really started really taking it having a dream journal so i would Mm -hmm. i would wake up and write it down so i was i was definitely having i was honoring whatever that was yeah in a way sort of so it was mostly i would remember my dreams and i i'd and they would be wild and crazy (laughs) and i'd write them down but then yeah but then they started being this awareness of a song in my dream and Hmm. and then it would be you know, the closest I've come to lucid dreaming or basically being aware that I was dreaming mm-hmm. because I would, there, a part of me would be like, whose song is that? This is my dream. <laughs> oh shit. That's and I crazy. would wake and I would wake, I would make, wake myself up and I would in the middle of the night just hum into my phone and then I'd wake up. And either I'd remember right when I woke up or I'd be having coffee and be like, oh, right, what does that sound like? And more often than not, it would be really cool. And then I'd yeah. pick up my guitar uh-huh. and I'd be like, what? E flat to, you know, like it was just like crazy weird, ah. the way the chords fit with yeah. what I was humming. I don't know. So something was happening. So, so Mick, 
also with some of the conversations we had when we hung out in person, mm-hmm. I was like, he'd be, he'd be, he would not be turned off by this. He'd be hip to what I'm, what the hell is happening. <laughs> you mean you think some people will go, whoa, no. <laughs> yeah. He was like, this prison's oh crazy. God, no. This is, yeah. So he was into it and it just was so, this is so fun. So there are songs on the new album that take me through one song like that, like the coolest story you have about a song that you dreamed and made it onto the album. Well, the heartbroken kind, <clears throat> that one uh-huh. is that came through with. Or to have a memorized the track, say that again. Yeah, so heartbroken. that one was like heartbroken kind. Okay, heartbroken kind. And it kind. starts okay. out. You know, Abby, Abby in the white shirt at home on the road. Um, so I, I listening back to that demo, it's like a very tired me in the middle of the night. Mm. But it sounds like <laughs> the words are there. Wait, when you su- you su- wait wait, wait we're, you're talking about what you recorded when you woke up and recorded yeah. the dream, and you actually yeah, in the middle oh of the you night. didn't this is not one that you just hummed a melody to this is one where you had words to a melody yeah, I came, does that does that the way it happened I, every time or just this time was it always that words time, sometimes okay all right but, so this one had words some, mostly and, it's just a melody oh okay but this yeah, one in particular had words and a melody okay so go on yeah. So it was just there. And I was like, I don't know who Abby is, but she's wearing a white shirt. Like, wow. I don't know what's happening with this. This is and awesome. And the melody was so, I don't know, just not something I would make up, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, the songs are so cool. I mean, I just, I was just refreshing going over them again, learning, because I've been pulling new musicians in to tour with me. Yeah, yeah. So I've been sending out songs that I, I want to focus on. Uh-huh. So I've been playing them again and they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like just weird chord changes, unexpected, you know, really fun. Yeah. But, you know, I want to, it's weird to say that's something I wouldn't have done, but like, <laughs> who did it? It's weird. Oh, you mean like, like obviously you think, I did. Yeah, like <laughs> I, you never, what you're saying is like you never thought that maybe that you would have ever done something like that, but it ended up that you did. Yeah, <laughs> like the chord changes from B flat, you know, to G minor, to F, to E flat. You know, when I'm when I'm playing these, I'm just like, wow, this is, I, I it's so cool that I wrote this song. Like, because I don't, if I were to sit down and say, okay, write something cool that you haven't written before, mm-hmm. obviously that's not how it works. Again, like somehow I got surprised into dreaming up these little things that I'm humming into my phone and then understanding them yeah. through learning them on my guitar and then finishing them. That's so cool. I can't even tell you, and I'm not even blowing smoke. I think <laughs> really that is fun. so amazing. <laughs> It's that's so cool. That's so cool. Wow. Wow. So is that something that's has continued to occur? Yeah, it just happened <laughs> the other night. Did it really? It did hasn't you write it? Did, for a did you while. do it? Did you record like like do the memo thing? You know, I did and I haven't listened back to it again. I know there were words though, and I remember seeing him being like, This is crazy. I don't know what this means. Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. But so, That's nuts. Yes, it was so fun and it was so surreal. And then writing with Mick, um, 
was so fun and again so unexpectedly smooth and uh-huh so you've got some uh, and, and you've got a you've got a tour some like a uh, handful of tour dates that are already established like i think like a dozen ish and you're coming to chicago on october 1st so i'll see you at city winery on that day for sure right on. we're gonna hang because yeah. i want to meet you and talk to you in person um and right uh yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for you and I'm excited for this album. And um, you've been like so prolific. I'm just so you're just so insanely intriguing to me. And I would love to like do a retrospective of like every album. But this would be like a 10 hour podcast. But we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to come back. And 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 I, I love I love the White Tiger. And is it the kiss? I love those. Those are kind of two of my my favorites and the, um, the cocaine cowboys too. At first I thought that was a cover mm. and then like Margot did one that was called that. And, mm. um, and then you had a uh, buck meek, a big thief was he on that song. And you also yeah. worked with Billy strings on that album. Yeah. Right. Like, yep. wow. You're like, you're like the nexus of everything of cool folk and all country <laughs> all in one, you know, how'd that happen? Just being around for oh, so long. Thank you. It's so, and, and you've worked with Steve Earle as well. That's like, wow. Yeah, it's been a fun, it's been a good time. How do you characterize kind of like where you are now? Like, what's your current mindset? This album's coming out. How are you feeling about yourself? And how are you, um, like, what, you're coming out of COVID. Like, talk to me a little bit about what your, where your head's at right now. Yeah, well, I'm really, I feel really focused on, on you know, playing these songs and getting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really thinking much about, I mean, I'm excited to share them. I'm very excited to go out and connect with people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of like, I'm just not really caring much about like what happens or what doesn't. Mm. I'm really, I'm really focused on on really connecting with people and, yeah, yeah. and sharing, sharing and, and um, I don't know, firing people up sort of. <laughs> so like, just, you're not really looking in the future with kind of expectation. You're sort of living in the moment kind of right now. And, and yeah, and I'm really, I'm really live, trying to live working to live this, you know, this hope of, of like, equality and this idea of you know justice really um Mm -hmm. which has a lot to do with with expanding my life and my music and like working with more people of color and more women yeah yeah and more gay artists Mm -hmm. and you know it's a real um like i have to be really intentional about it yeah this this world of of my music and it turns out lots of other folks musical you know communities have are, are really are really white <laughs> yeah and and it is you know like I, it's really important to me to to be part of that like integration to mm-hmm. be part of like making connections mm-hmm. um and it's, yeah, it's really great. It's been well, so, and you, so fun. Yeah, I applaud that. And I try to, I'm trying to do that more on the podcast and have all kinds of people represented, both from um, a diversity perspective and from a sexual orientation or 
gender perspective, for example. Um, yeah. I'm trying to do the best I can. Um, but then we start talking about genre of music and yeah. you found right. even, you know, in your, um, uh, you know, what I've read, uh, some write-ups and stuff and stuff you sent me, um, that there is kind of that struggle to represent diversity in folk or alt folk or however we're categorizing it today. Um, and you've brought in other artists who were like you. And I think there was a quote where one, I can't really drill down into who said it when, but like, uh, Oh, Corey Fonville, right. Who says mm -hmm. like, Oh, no one ever calls me to play on this stuff. Like quote unquote. Right. Well, right. why is that? Like, right. <laughs> um, like, yeah, because folk is is like, it's, the modern folk and popularized folk and i don't mean like poppy folk but i mean that that what's known broadly has been almost right. primarily white right right so well and clearly majorly influenced by so many black artists yes. that didn't get recognition absolutely right right and it's right. true and it's the more well, so the let's more bring that yeah let's bring that is. back around you know well, yeah, because Why, the more difficult crazy. it is for me to find someone to play with, the more clear I am that I need to keep trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it's just like, wow, this is not, I need to, like, <laughs> make more friends who are not white. I need to, like, <laughs> yeah. support, you know, and go out to different shows and, and you know, and not, not just do what's easy. What's easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not it's not the best thing for 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 me or my music or the world right you know right like i want i just i'm com i'm committed to being to like to doing that yeah that's great so am i and it's and it's you know it's i gotta say it's made um my life so much better already like i mean i've made so many friends and this i've learned so much and continue to basically have my mind blown and this record to me is proof like that it's it's extending my music and my heart to another place hmm. the, the the influence and the, the musicianship on this record is is so great it's so palpable to me to hear it it's different from my other stuff interesting and the between with people that have a different palette of different musicians that they've absorbed as much as I absorbed David Grisman and Tony Rice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I mean, I also have absorbed tons of Ann Peebles and Aretha Franklin, mm -hmm. but I also don't know all the players that played on those records. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Like it's like, it's these worlds are meeting and I get to be a part of that. Well, not, so not only that, you get to meet everybody else. And when you bring in others, you bring in all their other influences. And then you kind of, you all play together. And then that comes out and to be something that you've created in the songs, but also um, an amalgamation of everybody's uh, collective influences, which is fucking interesting in and of itself as well. It's <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? It's a great time to be alive, even though it's a crazy time to be alive. <laughs> And we're alive right now, so it is a great time, isn't it? <laughs> and between us, so not to ask the basic question, but talk to me a little bit about the title. So many of these songs are about, or come from this desire to resolve issues, um, work through things that are hard, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, emotionally 
lover or whether it's politically with an uncle who doesn't who loves Trump or with someone like my father for example mm-hmm. um, that you can't meet my meet minds with you know right it's the it's this desire to like work through what's between us ah uh, okay you know and you can't you can't you can't get to another place without going through it and dealing with that stuff mm-hmm. and and that's why i love that photograph on the cover it's this heap of metal recycling mm. <laughs> with all these jagged edges oh that's you know? what that was i haven't seen it like in yeah. big format yet yeah okay. but it's potentially recyclable you know we could use that to make something right didn't you used to but you worked at a place try. called recycling center <laughs> i did yeah Oh, interesting. Something else from the past, but yeah. yeah so right. that's that's kind of what I see. This is like is it a bunch of shit between a bunch of us that seems jagged and painful and insurmountable. But the only way through to a better place is to actually confront it. Interesting. Yeah. And acknowledge that it, that no one's all good and no one's all bad. You know. Yeah. And and. Uh, and we have to trying to make the out. world a bigger a better place one song at a time one dream <laughs> one dream at a time that's so true <laughs> but if it's not that then what's the point <laughs> yeah really really not that i believe i can but i gotta try there you go well you're being authentic to yourself and you're kind of like trying to make a difference out there kind of sort of in the same way a little sort of you know your parents thought they were making a difference too in the lifestyle that they lived and they were free yeah. spirits and and such and they've kind of instilled that sort of free spiritness in you and kind of you escape people to try to put you in a box and you know and got True. to New York where no one's in a box i mean you live in boxes that's about basically the only box you ever see <laughs> <laughs> tiny boxes <True>. too <laughs> yeah yeah well I wish you so much luck, Anna, and like so many great things. And um, I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much, Josh. This has been really fun. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, it's been great for me too. I really, really loved getting to know you and sharing your story with uh, with my listeners. So thanks so much for being here. You bet. Take care. I'll see you in Chicago. That'd be great. I look forward to it. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was Anna Eggie. I just really, really loved that conversation. Anna's just a stellar human, and I appreciate her letting me call her Anna a couple times by accident. Uh, I really do hope that was not an issue for her, but uh, I always just default to Anna for some reason. I I, I don't know why, so uh, I'm sorry about that. But Anna's just a she's just such a wonderful human. Um, really enjoyed her um, uh, her the story of her life. She's got such an interesting upbringing and uh, the Austin. Um, issue about not being wanting to uh, be groomed and, um, uh, you know, understandably and getting her, uh, uh, you know, her perspective on that was really very interesting. Um, enjoyed talking to her about coming out as gay and how that affected her uh, work and her life and how difficult that was, especially uh, with respect to her relationship with her parents. And that was all um, extremely informative. And I enjoyed talking to Anna about that and appreciate her openness about that as well. Um, 
I also really enjoyed her uh, her commitment to uh, equality in music, uh, working with uh, people of color as well as the LGBTQ community. Uh, I'm also uh, I know that I can do better in representing diversity on this podcast and I uh, am doing my best to be inclusive in all those respects. So uh, I really respect that uh, Anna is doing that and as I strive to as well. Anna's got some tour dates coming up, going on fall tour, and she's got in support of this new album, uh, Between Us, that's coming out on September 17th. Uh, she's coming to Chicago. I'm going to definitely check out her show. I really love her music, and her voice is just oh, so, so beautiful. Um, thanks again to everyone for being here for this episode of Road Case with Anna Aggie. Uh, really appreciate your support. I've got so many great artists and individuals in live music that I've interviewed and all these episodes are coming up in the next weeks and months. I'm so excited to share them. Thanks again for your support. And I want to send a special shout out to Anna Eggie for being here on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>